We're going to continue tonight in the series that we've been working through, through him and for him. And if you were with us last week, Alex began by showing us a word, kind of a word play on the difference between English accents and the correct way of speaking. <laughs> you remember he talked about words like garage and aluminum, aluminum, aluminum. Well, the point he was driving, of course, was that we have the power of our words to speak either life or death, no matter how they're pronounced, no matter what kind of accent we speak them with, the words that we use impact other people's lives and they impact our lives as well, right? And so I'm going to put a word up here and I want you to pronounce it with me. Ready? Love. That's an appropriate word for Valentine's Day weekend, right? And we all said it the same way, didn't we? Pretty much. You even say it love, right? <laughs> but when we say it the same way, we actually probably have a different idea about what that really is and what that really looks like, don't we? We think about the different ways that we talk about love and express love and experience love as people. But you know, love is the most important word in all of Scripture, right? The word love shows up in the Bible, just the noun love, some 759 times, if you're looking at the New Living Translation, for instance. And it is what Jesus and all of the apostles throughout the New Testament go to great lengths to teach us as the single most important aspect of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Jesus follower is a person who is completely immersed in love. That's not to say there's not a place for theology, there's not a place for ministry and service and all of those things, but all of it has to be underpinned with love. Would you say? Would you agree with me? That is the hallmark of Christianity. Jesus said they will know, they out there will know that we in here are his because of our what? Our love, right? There's nothing more important for us to understand than what we're talking about when we talk about love. But first, what I want to talk about tonight is the Super Bowl. And not the game. We're happy that the Chiefs won for Zoe's sake. It was a good game. I'm happy it was a good game. They're not all good games, are they? But that was a good game. But what I want to talk about is Super Bowl commercials. I thought this was a really good year for Super Bowl commercials. Some years are really... But this was a good year, I thought. Right? So let's, let's replay a couple of them in our minds. And you tell me if you liked it, you raise your hand, okay? How about the Jeep commercial, the Groundhog Day commercial with Bill Murray? Wasn't that a good one? Phil? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good one. How about the Doritos showdown between Little Nass and Sam Elliott doing the dancing? Did you like that one? No, not as many hands, huh? I didn't see that one, okay. How about the Hyundai commercial with the Smart Pack? You like that one? You didn't see that one? Oh, you got to YouTube that one. That one's excellent. <laughs> All right, how about, how about digging back into the previous generation, the MC Hammer commercial with Cheetos. Can't touch this. <laughs> that was a good one, right? But the one that really impacted me the most, early in the broadcast, you may not even have seen this, but early in the broadcast was a commercial that I want to show you. And, and I just want you to tell me, if you don't remember, tell me in your mind what you think this is really for. Take a look at this. 
The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love has an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We did good. That commercial blew me away because if you've been in church long enough, you've heard a preacher preach that sermon, right? There's four types of love in the Bible. I never, outside of church, ever saw anybody talk about that. And I'm sitting there watching the commercial three quarters of the way in. I'm like, is this the Mormons? Who is this? <laughs> I wasn't sure who it was going to be. But it's so perfect because it explains exactly what we as believers in Jesus mean when we talk about love. There's a place in our lives for the brotherly love, the philia. There's a place in our lives for the storge, the affection for a grandparent. You often times will hear it, the kind of affection that your dog has for you. Storge, firm and strong. There's also, of course, the erotic love that happens between men and women in marriage. as that attraction. But agape is the one that we want to focus on. Because agape love is three things that we're going to look at. It is what God is. The Bible tells us God is love, right? So when we talk about all of this sermon series being through him and for him, and if God is him, then what? Everything is through love and for love. I always used to say to people, I feel like it's important for us to know that we were created by love, with love, in love, for love. All of it flows from the Father through us, and it just becomes who we are because God is in us. So God is love. It's what God is. Secondly, it's what he calls us to experience. It is what we are to say is the very core of our relationship with God. When we think of God, when we fall to our knees in prayer, when we consider in our minds who God is, love is what should come to the surface. Because God is love. So he wants us to experience him that way. He wants the relationship to be built on this agape. And then lastly, it's also what he calls us to express. Back to him, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So the truth is, I could, I could talk about agape love for hours, and I probably will. But the good news for you is not all at once. <laughs> the reason I could do that is because this is everything to do with spiritual growth and formation and maturity. God wants to envelop us in his love. He wants his love to run 
completely through us and out from our lives into the lives of others. If we get nothing else, forget the thing about grouchy men. This is what you have to take tonight. That God is love. God wants you to experience that love and he wants us to express that love. See, it's not about... Maturity in Christ is not about gaining more knowledge, although there's a place for that. It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing more. It's about surrendering more to the love of God and giving ourselves over to that love. And that's what we're going to talk about this week and next week. Tonight we're going to talk about what it means to experience that love and next week what it means to express that love. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that God has highlighted for me this year Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. This is, this is what I'm supposed to focus on both in my own growth, but also as a pastor in my ministry. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says this, that God wants you, Paul's praying here for the church, he wants you to have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. Now, if I ask you to measure this room and I give you one of these, you can do that, right? And that's what he's inviting us to. He's inviting us to take the measuring stick, take the tape measure of our lives and go to work finding out how deep God's love is, how wide God's love is, how long God's love is, how high God's love is. You know what? That's a lifetime chore. That's a lifetime activity because his love is, as he goes on to say, something more than we can ever fully understand. So it's not like, hey, take this and measure this room so we can figure out the size. It's like, take this and measure Bel Air. That's what it's like. Having the opportunity to step into this love and to grow in this love and experience this love brings us closer and closer to the very heart of the Father who loves us so deeply. May you experience the love of Christ, Paul says. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then, here's the goal. You will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. How many of you want that? How many of you want the fullness of life? How many of you want the fullness of the power that God has and desires to bring into your life? Man, I, I crave that. I hunger so much for that. And I don't want to settle for less. The world is trying to convince us to settle for less. The world is trying to distract us with things that look like power that aren't really power at all. And things that look like a full life, an abundant life, that are really just illusions. Things that come and go without us even understanding how or why. We are invited here to spend our lives discovering the dimensions of God's love for us, to taking the measure of God's love for us, to be made complete, to have spiritual maturity, and being formed into the likeness of Christ with the promise of life at its fullest. Man, that sounds so good to me. I also shared with you a couple of weeks ago what I believe is kind of a matrix for growing in this love, moving further into God's love. 
And I listed six points. I don't know if you can see them up here, but it kind of starts with this basic introduction. I, I don't believe that God loves me. Perhaps, again, you, you feel that way because you don't believe in a God at all to start, or you believe in the angry God who's just waiting to kick you in the teeth, or you believe you're not good enough for God to love you. All of these things, that's where most people start. And then we move on to this desire to want to believe, but then we look around and our circumstances make it really, really hard to believe that there's a God of love. If you flip open the internet every morning and you look at the news, it's really hard to believe that there's a God of love who's in charge of all this. There's a God of love who has promised to set right what we as human beings have completely fouled up and broken. But it's a step in the right direction. Next, most people go through this idea of it being a nice sentiment that God loves me, but it doesn't really, really impact my life. It's what I kind of comfort myself with. But then I have to get up and go out and do the real world. We move on from there to this idea of God's love giving us hope for heaven. Yeah, we're going to suffer here. and We're going to claw and scrape and do our best here, but oh, at least there's a reward at the end. We get to go to heaven and it'll all be different then. Then we'll really understand what God's love is. And then we move on to, okay, I can see it, it changes a little bit how I see myself and, and how I see the world around me. I'm beginning to get this idea that it's real and that it really can make a difference for me and for others. Until ultimately we try to get to the place of full maturity, which is God's love actually becomes my identity. I know myself to be the beloved. And nothing anybody says or does to me or fails to do to me can touch me at that level. That's the maturity. That's the fullness of love and life that God is offering to us. And you want to know what it looks like? We turn to perhaps the Bible's very best expert on love. Jesus is the perfect model, but the actual one who explains it so well to us, the chief agapeist, if that's a word, is the Apostle John. And I want to just read a passage for you from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And I want you to hear with ears open tonight. I want you to hear God speaking to you to encourage you, to focus you on what full life really means, what power really means. Beginning at verse 7. And by the way, Agape as a noun or a verb in this 14 or 15 verses shows up 28 times. John knows what he's talking about. What did he call himself after all? <laughs> the apostle who Jesus loved. The agapetos, the beloved. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. 
No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So when we look through that passage, what we see again is this combination of God living in us and us living in God and through that being able to experience this agape love and then being able to express that agape love out to other people. But did you catch this? And this is what's important. You cannot give away what you do not have. You cannot express a love that you have not experienced. It is impossible. You might be able to do that at the level of philia and storge and eros, but you cannot do it in agape love. You cannot be the imitator of God, the dearly loved child, unless you understand that's who you are, a dearly loved child of God. And so what I want to do in a few moments tonight is just kind of walk through what that looks like. What does it mean to experience the love of God? Think back to the significant other in your life and how you met and how that happened. Anybody have one of those amazing stories? One of those true God stories. You know what? They're all true God stories. And when we stop and reconsider it and think about it, then we just understand how beautiful this thing is. Because you know what? It makes no sense, does it? When we get to love at that level, it really defies any kind of understanding. It just is. It is the very nature of love to be that way. When Amy and I met, we were about 25 miles apart living, and it was you know, the same infatuation where I'd go over to her house and spend you know, hours and hours there, and then like leave at three o'clock in the morning, have to get up for work at six o'clock in the morning, you know, and never felt tired, never, you know, it's like you're running on something. There's some kind of fuel in love that we don't find in normal life. Not always wise and smart, 
but it's so powerful, isn't it? It moves us so much and so deeply. So you have an idea of kind of what it means to experience love at the philia level, at the storge level, at the eros level. But how do we really learn to experience the love of God, the agape love? You're familiar, I'm sure, again, if you've been in church for a while with Gary Chapman's book, The Love Languages, right? Do you know what your love language is? You remember the, the five that he, he quotes? Words of affirmation. Anybody love words of affirmation? Acts of service. You love, you just feel loved when people do something for you. Receiving gifts. That's how you really know you're loved. Quality time. Somebody just spends time in your presence. And then the last one's physical touch. We all are created differently, right? We all have, there's a lot of truth to that book that, that we can see ourselves in. We know that we're loved when X happens, right? And when X doesn't happen, how do we feel? We begin to question. We begin to go, ah, oh, what's wrong in the relationship here? Well, it's the same thing with God. If we're not practicing the experience, if we're not giving ourselves the time and the place in God's space, to experience the love of God, then it's easy to slip into that, well, I, yeah, I know God loves me, but, or I think God loves me, but I'm not really feeling it anymore. Let me tell you, your Father in heaven never wants you to get to that place. He wants just to wrap you up in his arms of love. He wants, as John writes, he wants to be in you, and he wants you to be in him in this symbiotic relationship that defies any kind of explanation and yet it's the very heart's cry in each one of us. It's the place we most want to be, whether we recognize that or not. And God wants you to be there. So how do we know that we're experiencing the love of God? Four things I want to talk to you about. The first is we have to trust his character. Would you fall in love or allow yourself to be loved by somebody whose character can't be trusted? Some of us have made that mistake, have we not? And so... Everything we've experienced in our lives comes into play when we start talking about the dynamics of another relationship. Can I trust God to love me? Is he trustworthy? Well, when you stop and think about what John's talking about when he says God is love, what do you picture? When you think of God even, what do you picture? Do you picture the white man with the beard, the old guy standing up there in heaven looking at us? That's not what God is. The Bible tells us that God is one God in three persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when it talks about God is love, it's talking about a relationship within the Godhead, within the Trinity. It's talking about the love the Father has for the Son and the Spirit, the love the Son has for the Father and the Spirit, the love the Spirit has for the Father and the Son. Jesus talks about this all the time, right? And so there's a, Richard Rohr calls it the divine dance of the Trinity that is in a loving relationship, the Father loving on the others, the Son loving on the others, the Spirit loving on the others. And what we're invited into is to participate in that. That's beautiful. It's mind-blowing. I, I don't know that we can comprehend it in our human reasoning, but that doesn't make it less true, Right? Some things we just have to embrace by faith. Some things we just have to take in and let God show us how real it is. That's what faith does. And there's this, 
beautiful relationship going on and God doesn't want us on the outside. Think back to the garden. That's the relationship that already existed, right? And we chose to go our way without God. We chose to think we, we have the knowledge of good and evil without God. At Babel, we decided we're going to build a tower to God. We don't need his help. And all of that is saying we don't want the relationship. We don't want the relationship. But our father continues to woo us. He says, you don't know what you're talking about, dear child. You want this more than you want anything in the world. And I invite you into this relationship. So the character of God is love. It is this relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's his nature. He can't not love. Hear me. God can't fail to love you. And so we just have to trust it. We have to know that God isn't like the person who hurt us 10 years ago or 20 years ago or yesterday. His love is perfect love. And he invites you to receive it. Secondly, we have to recognize his presence. John tells us what? God lives in us. And the proof of God living in us is what? The presence of the Holy Spirit. I will give you my spirit, Jesus says, as he ascends. And everyone since that day has received the spirit through faith in Christ. It's a deposit, Paul calls it. It is God himself inside of us. But we have to recognize that presence. It's not something we turn on and turn off. I hope you had a great Valentine's Day with somebody you love. My Valentine's in Wisconsin, 800 miles away. I'm sitting there watching Netflix by myself. And I missed her because her presence wasn't there. I felt the longing. I felt the separation. You know what I mean? But that never happens with God. We can push him aside. We can say, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I'm, I'm involved over here. And all the while, God is just like the father and the prodigal son, just saying, come home, come home, come back to me, come back. Step into my presence. And so when we take the time to recognize the presence of God, when we receive this inv invitation and we choose to spend time in his presence, guess what's going to happen? The love is just going to rise up within us. It's just going to continue to fill our minds and fill our hearts and fill our souls. Because that's what he wants for you. That's what he promises us. But the choice to recognize that or not lies with us. Thirdly, we have to believe his words. How many times does the Bible say, God loves us? I don't know. I only need to see it once. I wear a ring. I used to wear two rings. One's now at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. This one is inscribed in Hebrew. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah, of course, is recording that thousands of years ago for the people of Israel, but it's just as true for you and I tonight as it was for them there. Because again, God can't be anything but love. And he says, I have loved you with what? Not a conditional love, not a temporary love, not a love that only responds when you're good enough. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you on your best day. I have loved you on your worst day. 
I have loved you when you've been doing great things for the kingdom. I've loved you when you've been doing selfish things for yourself. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, again, when we've been hurt by someone, a human who's told us they loved us and failed us, then we get our guard up. We protect ourselves, right? And God is saying, if you want to receive it, you've got to tear that wall down. You've got to believe the words that I am saying to you. And the words are right there for us every day. We just have to seek them out, don't we? If you doubt it, turn to John, read John, and hear God say, I love you. It's not like that couple up in Maine that I heard about that were married for 50 years. And the wife one day steps out to her husband and she goes, you know what, all these years, you never tell me you love me anymore. He said, well, I said it on our wedding day, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) God's not like that. God wants to whisper it in your ear every day. But you have to believe it when he says it. You have to believe it more than you believe all of the other things about yourself or what somebody else says about you. God speaks truth. Jesus said he's the truth, right? And he said, I love you. And the fourth one is we have to actually remember his actions because the video, the commercial said, described agape love as what? Selfish, selfless sacrificial service, right, to other people. So we have to, we have to be able to say, okay, it's easy to say I love you, maybe even for God. Well, let's look at the actions. And John tells us this is how we know God loves us. How? He sent his son as a sacrifice. And Paul tells the Romans it's while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's action is, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, I'm going to reestablish this relationship. I'm going to reconcile us because I love you. And so the more we concentrate our lives on being aware and grateful for the things that we can see God doing for us, as opposed to the things that we feel like we're being cheated out of or missing in life, the more we develop this spirit of thanksgiving, the more we're able to say hallelujah, praise the Lord and really mean it, and then stand up and give a reason when the pastor asks for it, the more we're remembering, the more that love is becoming settled in our hearts and in our spirits. Actions speak louder than words, they say, right? It's like the guy I know gave his wife this Valentine's Day card. It said, I will travel to the ends of the earth for you. I will climb the highest mountains for you. I will swim the widest ocean for you. And she looks at it and says, yes, but will you do the dishes for me? (laughs) Actions. Remembering the actions of God on our behalf. But there's a reverse side of the equation here too that I want to make mention of because it's important. It's important that we understand that while God is trying to bring all of this to bear in our lives, there is an enemy of our souls that wants to steal that from you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy the relationship 
that God paid such a dear price to have with you and yearn so deeply on a day-by-day basis to experience with you. And that enemy will do whatever he has to do to separate you from the love of God. And John tells us here that the greatest obstacle to experiencing God's love is what? Fear. Fear. Two things I think he uses in our heads to make us fearful. The first is we're afraid that God's not always loving, right? What about the wrath of God? My Bible says God shows wrath. My Bible says God is going to judge sinners. Absolutely true. But it doesn't say God is wrath. Wrath is not God's character. And when God acts in wrath, it's not a blind rage like human beings do. Everything God does, including his judgment, is done out of love. And so we can be assured in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits that there's nothing to fear that God's not always loving. So if you're one of those people who says to yourself, well, you know, I know God loves me, but I I know he's also just waiting for me to mess up. And when I mess up, he's going to smite me. I love that word smite there's some people i'd like to smite that's not who god is what about uh, he's too holy to look on sin you ever heard that god's too holy to look on sin go back into the gospels and see who jesus is sharing the table with if god was too holy to look on sin then why would Jesus sit with sinners? That is, that is a complete fabrication. Is God holy? Yes. But you know how God is holy? God is holy in that his love, agape love, is different than every other kind of love. Because holy only means what? Separated for a specific purpose. And so God's holiness is the very subject that we're talking about tonight, but it's expressed in this amazing Love that sees past who you think you are. Sees past who you can't believe would be somebody that God would even want to be with. Derek Vreeland, great pastor that I read a lot from, says this, God is holy in that God is separate and altogether different from everything else in all creation. God isn't holy because God gets mad. God is holy because God is love, and God's love is different than any other kind of love we experience in all of creation. There's a reason agape is different from the other three. We should probably have more words in English to express something as meaningful and and deep as love, right? So we, we, we gain this sense of fear because we think God's not always loving. The second thing is, we think we're not lovable. And guess what? You're not always. Sometimes you are, right? Some, something keeps your spouse or your friends with you, right? Or your dog. 
Dogs come the closest to, to pure love of all, right? But we do. We, we feel, you say, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not doing enough for God to really love me. I, I'm fearful that God isn't going to love me because I'm not whatever. But John tells us here that God, who is perfect love, expels that fear. When we let the love in, the fear goes, in other words. So you have a choice. You can either live in those fears or you can live in love. And God's not the one deciding which is it going to be. It's you and I that are deciding what it's going to be. You and I are going to decide whether or not we're going to give a place to fear in our hearts that says God's not loving or I'm not lovable or either one. But when Paul writes his letter to Timothy, he says, fear is not from God, right? So if it's not from God, where is it coming from? It's coming from the enemy who is planting those things in your mind. That's why we're told to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? By correcting our thinking. The very song that we sang earlier about, give me your vision, God. Help me to see things as you see them. You know the main thing you need to see as God sees? You. If, if you could, if you and I can grasp what it means to be the beloved of God, I mean really grasp it, really live in that truth, your life would be so powerfully changed. You'd be, you'd be wearing a smile 99% of the time. You'd be like having a superpower where all the things of the world just fall around you because nothing can touch your belovedness. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know that verse? Do you believe that verse? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So fear's grip, whatever that grip is on you tonight, whatever's holding you in, in fear that's blocking the perfect love of God, that's released as you begin to experience this agape. And, and I know most of you, you're, you're believers, you already have experienced this at some point in your life. So all I'm here to do is to encourage you to go deeper, to push, push further into the love of God and let fear's grip be released as you experience this agape love. Perfect love expels all fear. And God is that perfect love. Henry Nouwen the great Catholic mystic said this, when we reach beyond our fears to the one who loves us with an everlasting love, then oppression, persecution, and even death are unable to control us. All forms of evil, illness, and death lose their final power over us. Amen. We come to the knowledge, a knowledge of the heart more than of the mind, that we are born out of love and will die into love that every part of our being is rooted in love and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. So I ask you, what trips you up? What is it in your life right now that blocks you from receiving the agape love that God desires to pour in? 
that God desires to completely immerse you in, bringing healing, bringing renewal, bringing restoration to your life, bringing wholeness, bringing power, bringing transformation, bringing Christ-likeness to your life. What is it? Can you name it? As the worship team comes up, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. What? But it's only a homework assignment if you want it. Nobody's going to check it. Because you can hear a sermon like this. I've heard lots of sermons like this. And we can walk out of here and you might say, good sermon, not so good sermon. But by the time you hit the parking lot, you don't even remember what was said. And you can treat this like that. I don't, it's not going to take it personally because I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it because God told me to do it. So you're not going to hurt my feelings. But as a pastor, as one of your pastors, there's nothing I want more for you. There's nothing Alex wants more for you than to experience the fullness of God's love. To live in the victory, to live in the the completeness, the wholeness, the well-being, the shalom that God's love brings into your life. And so if you are here and you're saying, okay, I need that, I, I recognize it, give me something practical to do, then you have homework. And this is what it is. I want you to create touchstones in your mind of this message tonight. What do I mean by that? Four things that I talked about, I want to come back to your mind intentionally. So as you head around to this week and you see signs or you see things like numbers on doors, every time you see the number three, and assigned anywhere, I want you to reflect on the Trinitarian character of God's love for you. Every time you see a three, I want you to remember that God is inviting you to participate in the divine love that he is. It's an invitation. Every time you see a three, reflect for a moment on that character of God. I also want you to sense God's presence as he surrounds you. So what's a good example of God's presence? Wind. Every time you feel a breeze on your face, I want you to remember God's there. God's presence surrounds you. You cannot escape from it. Thirdly, every time you see a Bible, and and even if you open it up, it won't kill you, by the way. Every time you see the Bible, I want you to hear God's voice or see God's words on the printed page declaring his love for you. Even goes for the app. Scrolling through your phone and you hit the Bible Gateway app or whatever it is. 
just stop and hear God say, I love you. And then lastly, every time you see a cross, remember what this cross represents. Remember the action that God took to express his love for you. That it's more than just some concept of eternity, that it's more than just some emotion of feeling his presence, that it's more than just words that say, I love you. Remember that there is no greater love, Jesus told us, than the one who lays down his life for his friends. So every time you see a cross, Remember what God has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight just for the reminder of your heart towards us. We thank you for the nature of your character, that you are love. That every time we connect with you, we connect with love. Every time we turn our face to you, we turn to love. I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord, that throughout this week, you would just allow them to experience that love at a deeper, more meaningful level. I pray, Lord, that in the wind and through the Bible and by the cross, and even looking at a number three, they would be reminded and they would be encouraged to continue to measure in their own lives how wide and long and deep and high is the love of God. And that no matter where they go in that length or height or depth or width, nothing can separate them from your love. And I pray, God, that as they experience this, that they would begin to find a passion, a renewed passion in their lives that we would desire to find ways to express that love outwardly because it's something too amazing to keep to ourselves. It is the very life force of all creation. And we thank you, God. We thank you that you have brought us out of death into life. Help us to live. Help us to move. Help us to find our being in love this day and always. Through you and for you, in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Let's stand and worship one more time.